Well, we are in the book of Titus, and uh, we took a couple weeks off break for Easter, and last week was Celebration Sunday, but we're back again, and we are in the midst of looking at what Paul has said to Titus is his responsibility on the island of Crete to appoint elders so that he could, uh, so that they could set things in order that which remain. The idea is this, that most scholars believe that the Apostle Paul spent some time on the island of Crete uh, making converts to Christianity early there in the first centuries, and he has now left. But instead of leaving these people high and dry, he knows, he understands inherently that this place, these new believers, they need a cooperation. They need a professional, if you will, body of believers. They need a church. And so Paul has sent a trusted servant, a beloved son in the faith, Titus, he has sent Titus back to Crete, or maybe left Titus there as he goes and said, listen, set things that remain in order. Basically, take those Christians who are here, pull them together, appoint some leaders, get some elders, some men of wise, uh, both years and their activity, put these men together. I said this briefly before, and I don't think I could overemphasize it by saying it again. In those previous nine qualifications that we saw, and in the next six that I'm going to show you today, And I would even argue in the final qualification uh, next week, none of these qualifications, none of these qualifications refer to a pure ability on the part of the elder. Did you catch that? None of these refer to a pure ability on the part of the individual elder. They all refer to, instead, a quality that is to be found in the individual elder. Not their abilities, not their talents, not those things that they can be good at doing, but the qualities of their character, the qualities of the person themselves. Those are the qualifications to lead God's people. Not that you would be a professional, not that you've made a million dollars in your career, not that you are the CEO of some Fortune 500 company, not that you have these great talents or abilities, but it's the quality of the man, it's the quality of the person, the heart that God says, look for these type of men. Now, don't lose that as we go through these, okay? Um, We're just going to jump in here in verse 8. The last nine that we saw, they were all qualifications that were, in a sense, negative qualifications. It was Paul's way of saying, Titus, don't take men if they have this problem. Don't take men if they have this problem. In other words, they can't be men who do this. They can't be men who do that. And that was the list thus far. Now we get a corresponding list. The remainder of the list are things that these men should be doing. Marks of quality of their character that should be present. Let's look at them. We're just going to track through these. And there's really no other way to teach through a list but to just teach through a list. So let's jump in here. Number one, he says in verse 8, But, as opposed to the negative things the things that they're not supposed to do, here are the things that these men are supposed to do and be. Okay? Number one, verse eight, they are to be hospitable. Hospitable. Now, this is an interesting word. It connotates some things in the Greek language that it doesn't connotate in the English language. For us, when we think of being hospitable, we think of someone who can uh, bake muffins, do a covered dish, or throw a really good party, right? That that's a hospitable person, that they're real friendly to all their friends and they're always having friends over, and that's a hospitable person. But the Greek language, and in uh, that day and time, it connotated even more than that. The word literally in the Greek, it's a compound word. And it's the word phileo and xenos. Phileo, you'll know, 
from, uh, we use it for Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo in the Greek means love. It's this word that connotates a love for or an affection for. So, phileo and zenos. Zenos is an interesting word. It's used uh, in another part of the New Testament as a name for a lawyer, but it literally means strange. Strange. Okay? So, here's the compound word. Stranger. You see how much bigger this word is? Listen to this. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained even angels without knowing it. You get the idea that God from time to time sends angels into our life just to see if we will be hospitable, to see if men and women will have this quality about them, to see if men and women will have a love for and an affection for not just those who they care for and love and already know, but for the complete stranger. Paul says this has to be a mark of a man who would lead God's people. One commentator said this, This is the professional love of the mature Christian believer, analogous to the love of God, the quality of which does not depend on the behavior or character of the one being loved. Did you catch that? The quality of which does not depend on does not depend on the behavior or character of the one being loved, but on the character of the one who loves. It's an attribute of God Himself. Think of someone you love. Just put that name in the back of your head. You got that name? Think of another person that you love. Two people that you love. How about a third? Go for three people that you love. Get those three names. Do all of those people love you? Or do all of those people at the very least like you? I dare say, if I were to call on each one of you, you would name three people who at least like you, probably love you back. That's not the way God loves. That's not the affection of God. And frankly, that's not the character of or the quality that is required merely of the man who will lead God's people. It goes beyond that. You see, God loves not based on the love that He receives back from another, or the behavior or the quality of the person's love that they receive back. God loves basically just because of Himself. The quality of love is found in the one who loves, not in the one you are loving. This idea of hospitality alludes to that. The idea of hospitality, to have an affection for or a love for strangers, goes far beyond just being able to entertain your friends. It's the type of man who says, if you are in need, you can come here. If you are in need, I am willing to help. If you are in need, I will extend myself. I will open my home. That's the kind of man Paul says we need. We get a couple interesting English words. Maybe you hadn't put it together. We get words like hospital and hospice from this idea of hospitality. Now, just think about that. What is good? And this word here, again, it's one single word in the Greek. It also uses the word phileo. But instead of loving strangers, he said, you are to love good. Intrinsic good, this man is to be a lover of. He's to have a natural affection and affinity towards what is good and those who are good. It implies both. 
both good people and good activity. That when we think about these men, we would say to ourselves, that's the kind of guy who loves what is right, who loves what is good. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. He has to be someone who not only loves the stranger, but he just loves what is good. And he looks for that which is good. He honors that which is good. And more than that, his life reflects goodness. His life itself reflects that goodness. Let's look at number three. Number three, my translation says he is to be sensible. could be translated sober-minded, level-headed, or even prudent. Sober-minded, level-headed, or even prudent. This guy, he does things that simply make sense as a Christ follower. That you don't look at this person's life and say, the things that he does day in and day out, they just don't make much wise sense. He's not level-headed. He's not prudent. He's not distracted by the immoral, the foolish, or the unproductive. Did you catch that? He's not distracted by the immoral, the foolish, or the unproductive of life. He has his senses about him. He has his wits about him. He has a command of his mind and is set on his priorities. To stay with the term, he isn't one given to nonsense. Pretty practical stuff here, right? He isn't one given to nonsense. That when we look at this guy's life and say, can he be one who would lead God's people? He's not just living a flippant life involved in this or that that really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But he has priorities. He has a foundation that he lives his life on. And it's evidenced in his life. He's sensible. He's sensible. Some of your translations may even say sober, which is a great picture of being in control of one's mind and facilities on an even keel of life. Okay? Next, he is just. He is just. He does what is proper. He does what is right. And he does what is fitting all the time. In a word, he is fair and equitable. Fair and equitable. Uh, Things that sway them, we fight and we struggle against those type of men and women being in leadership. Amen? We just inherently know that there's something wrong with that. also carries the idea with it of exactness or preciseness. So that if I were to say something and then I were to follow it up by saying, and I mean just that. I mean just that. I mean precisely. I mean exactly that. This word just means that this person, his life has an exactness to it. His life has a preciseness to it. That it's not a flippant life. It's not a life that's lived haphazardly. It's not a life that is tossed to and fro. There is an exactness to this man's life and to his character that marks him in everything that he does. That's the kind of man we want to lead God's people. Paul says, Titus, find that character. Well, just, sensible, uh, loving what is good, hospitable, all these, all these are used of God in Scripture. I could go through and give you Scripture verses that would uh, quote each one of these characteristics being said of God himself. 
The next two, to be devout and self-controlled, uh, start to imply a little bit more of a spiritual tone. Let's look at these. Next, he says he must be devout. Interesting word here. To be devout, it comes from the same Greek word that the word holy does, hagias. It's uh, a word that means to be set apart for the special use of God. So if you were to get a picture of someone who is devout, someone who is, we would say, devoted, it would be a picture of someone who has set their life apart for the special use of God and His will, not their own. That if you were to see this man, you would see a life lived not by his own selfish desires, not for his own career, not for his own five-year plan, ten-year plan, but you would see a man who lives a devout life to something that is bigger than himself. Someone who is, in a sense, holy, committed completely to God, set apart completely to God. They are not their own, they are God's, and their life declares such. Some synonyms from the dictionary would be intense, serious, fervent, or even ardent. Intense, serious, fervent, and ardent. Their life displays their committedness to a holy God in such a way that they appear themselves to be holy, set apart for His special use. Let's look at this final one. Self-controlled. Self-controlled. Great, great word picture here. Someone who is self-controlled, this man is continuously and volunteering voluntarily submitting himself to the work of the Holy Spirit. Here, shouldn't you confess this? Because this man lives a life of self-control in the sense that he has put himself voluntarily and continuously under the control of the Holy Spirit. Often you'll see uh, this man uh, sitting quietly, head down after a service or in the midst of worship, being so moved by the holiness of God, being so moved by the character of God, being so convicted of his own personal sins that this person can do nothing else but just sit and hang his head and think on the things of God, think on their own sin. Often you see this person humbled to the point where they just have to sit in the moment. No one has had to say, listen, you should be convicted about this or what about this in your life? They are continuously and voluntarily voluntarily running every day through their life, going through their heart with a fine-tooth comb saying, God, what is it in my life that needs to go? Is there anything in my life that is not worth keeping around? Is there anything in my life that is causing me to be a stumbling block to others? Is there anything in my life that needs to be changed? A mark of a person who would lead God's church, a mark of a man who would lead God's church, Paul says, he has to be able to be self-controlled, that he does this naturally himself. We don't have to press this upon him. That's the kind of man this is. He's self-controlled. God is free to work in this man and it is often evident that he is at work. They are fighting the good fight. They are waging war against their own flesh daily. I'm going to leave the next verse till next week. It shifts gears a little bit, and I want, to, I want to match it up with the next few verses. But let me ask you, we are in the midst of talking about uh, our elders and the qualifications for our elders, and we are in this process ourselves. 
Just over a month ago, I placed four men here in front of you, and I said, if you know anything about these men that would disqualify them from serving our church in this way, if they do not meet any of these qualifications, if you have anything against them, you need to let us know. And you were given that opportunity according to our bylaws. And uh, that month has come and gone, and I got not a word from anyone. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, I've been praying this whole time that God would protect us, that if there was something in one of these men's life, big or small, that it would come to the surface that God would protect our leadership so that we would have men who could lead this church with pure hearts and pure lives. Um, I was planning today to present these men to you and officially uh, ordain them in front of the church, but a couple of them had to be out, had previous engagements to be out of town uh, this week, so we're going to do that in a later time. But I do need to say to you that uh, according, in accordance with our bylaws, these men have been now confirmed as your elders. They are the leaders of our church now, starting in April, the second quarter of this year, and they will begin to do the duties thereof, okay? And in a couple of weeks, we're going to bring them up here, and we're going to present them to the church officially and publicly. But... Um, more than all that, I want us to have these character qualities about them. Do you know that God is always more concerned with the quality of our character than our talents and our abilities? To be sure, these men that I place in front of you have some, some great talents and abilities, qualifications, great resumes. Can I tell you, they were not chosen for those reasons. They were chosen because they meet these character qualities, first and foremost. For the rest of us, for the rest of you, you are to look at these men as examples and say, how am I doing in these areas? They are to be pictures of hospitality for me to look at so that I become hospitable. Tracking with me? All right. Let's pray.